Please be seated. And I welcome those who are watching by live stream. And it's good to see all of you, at least half of your faces. A powerful thing happened on the way to the Sea of Galilee. We hear in our gospel text from Mark, a sign for this morning. It's a dusty scene. It's a nondescript region called Decapolis. Uh, It could be Keystone Heights, or it could be Sop Choppy, or it could be where my grandmother was born, Moss Bluff. It's the kind of place that hardly appears on the map. These days, Decapolis is probably buried under eight or ten feet of dirt and dust. But an amazing thing happened there one day, an amazing healing. There's a desperate man who meets up with Jesus, who we're told is deaf and has an impediment in his speech. Now, let me hasten to add, I don't know many people who have lost all of their hearing. Some of us have lost some of it. However, I know some in the congregation always are saying to the clergy, speak up. I've had some impediments in my speech, but I haven't lost all of my speech. How about you? Have you ever said things that you wish you hadn't said or said things that you'd like to pull back? We know something about hearing and speech, but most of us don't know anyone who has lost all of their hearing and all of their speech. But I don't know anyone this side of heaven who's not in need of some kind of healing and wholeness. Poke anyone deep enough, and what you and I find is a universality of conditions. We all have some, don't we? We all have some blemishes, some disease, some illness, Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's unseen, it's emotional or psychological or spiritual. There's some type of brokenness that's happened and we still carry it around with us. I don't know anyone who is not in need of some type of healing and wholeness. This event this, to this unknown man in this dusty village, Decapolis, could have happened at an AA meeting here in Jacksonville or at a business meeting downtown here, or it could happen at a youth rally out at Camp Weed and the Servany Conference Center. It could happen right here at St. John's while we're singing a hymn. That is, something is revealed about our condition, and we begin to receive some process of healing and wholeness. Jesus shows us again that extraordinary things can happen in nondescript places to common, ordinary people. Now, most of us have some setbacks, but we don't really want to admit them very often. We have been told to have a stiff upper lip, to kind of keep on going, keep on trekking. That is, don't let people see your blemishes, hide them, cover them up. And such wise, just keep moving. We've become past masters at sort of 
covering for ourselves. But most of us would admit with this desperate man that we'd love for the occasion to come by where you and I could actually receive some type of healing, where we don't have to deal with this anymore, whatever it is we're carrying around. Healing and wholeness has several stages, and they're presented in this gospel text. The first that I'd like you to notice in the text uh, is that the man does not have to be all put together before God's presence is known to him. He didn't put himself together in approaching Jesus. He was vulnerable, we might say. He was honest about his condition. Oh, if we could follow his footsteps. So often you and I have a view about God that somehow we have to dress ourselves up. Like coming to church, like putting on nice robes and putting a stole around our neck somehow hides what we're carrying around, that somehow we have to put ourselves together before God begins to give us loving mercy. Nothing could be further from the truth. God has an infinite capacity to love us with mercy. When we're in our worst days, do you hear me? When you're having your worst hair days, when the condition has you the lowest, is when God is going to show up and bring you the most loving mercy. This desperate man finds that to be absolutely true in today's gospel text. The second thing I want you to notice in the text is when this desperate man comes into the company of Jesus, um, he doesn't explain his illness. So often I try to do that with God. Let me tell you all the reasons how I got here, God. I want to tell you all the equations of how I got into this mess that I'm in. (laughs) No, he doesn't explain his illness. He also doesn't try to justify himself. I don't know about you, but I've found myself doing that as well, trying to justify myself in my various conditions. He doesn't make excuses for his condition. And he doesn't blame anyone else for his condition. Oh, that's a common tool in our toolbox is to blame and shame. I got to be this way, oh God, because of so-and-so and and -and so-and-so caused me to be this way. There's no unforeseen moral lapse, in other words, with this man. Jesus doesn't think he's ill because he's been immoral or because he's had some type of unusual setback. So they bring him to Jesus in such wise using the timeless prayer, Lord, have mercy upon him. Christ, have mercy upon him. Lord, have mercy upon him. Healing involves then for each of us asking for help. God help us to ask God for help, to be vulnerable enough and honest enough with our conditions to bring them to a God who can bring us loving and sustaining mercy. There's a third phase that I'd like you to notice in the text, and that is an action is needed. 
That's always true with Jesus. Love is never just a good idea, never just a thought, never just a greeting card kind of affair. It is always in Jesus' domain and wants to be in ours, an action. An action is called for, and Jesus gives this desperate man a loving action. He goes to him, touches him, holds him. We don't know, quite know what that looks like. We know what it's like in our own life when we've been held as a child, as a teenager, and maybe even as an adult. Oh, sometimes we shy away from it, like, I'm too mature, I'm too adult, I, 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 that makes me feel uncomfortable. But we know what it's like, don't we, to be held, to be embraced, to be supported that way. Jesus took hold of him and then said, Ephatha, be opened. We're told in the story that his hearing was given to him. His tongue was released. He could now hear and speak. Can you imagine the person who's been in the prison of not being able to hear or speak can now do both? I have a friend who's an ophthalmologist. He does ophthalmology surgery. He invited me to come to the local hospital once and to watch him do a cataract surgery. The person had all the film that you've heard about or maybe you've known yourself. The film over their eyes cannot see clearly at all. This person had lost almost all of her ability to see. Within minutes watching this amazing surgery, my friend who's a specialist then removed that film can you imagine what it feels like to see again, to see clearly, to hear again, and to hear clearly, or to speak, to have your tongue released? Ephatha, be opened. It's true, isn't it? It's not just with hearing and speech and sight. It's also with all aspects of our life. Some barriers in front of us. We don't have access to some type of healing and wholeness. Somebody or something's been getting in the way. Maybe our own guilt, maybe our own resentments are getting in the way of healing and wholeness. There's a lot of barriers around people in our world. Jesus seems to have an ability to clear them away to bring access, to create an avenue on which we can walk and journey. Ephatha, be opened, can mean a whole range of things for us. You're given health insurance. You get to see the specialist you need to see. The relationship is healed. Your guilt is taken away. You're given a new vocation. You're able to go to back to school. There's all kinds of avenues by which you and I would understand what ephatha would mean in our life. Be opened can mean a range of things involved in our healing and wholeness can bring healing to our hurts, to those who suffer, to those who are cut off. 
to those who have died. Nancy was a parishioner of mine in a previous church. She quietly came to the rector's office, my office, one day, and she quietly again revealed to me that she had been given a diagnosis of leukemia. Leukemia is a tough cancer. It's insidious, runs through our whole body, of course. The a blood cancer involves all of our faculties. And chemotherapy is brutal. Anyone who's been through any kind of chemo can give you war stories. Nancy was going through the chemotherapy. It was a difficult track on which to travel. To talk about healing and wholeness meant really not much for Nancy at the beginning. It was painful. It was causing her to lose her faculties. One day she was in the doctor's office and she actually accidentally um, was given a document by a nurse that she was not supposed to receive because it included dialogue from one physician to another about Nancy's condition. And on the document, one of the physicians was saying to another, we don't expect Nancy to live more than six more months. It was devastating news for her to read. It cast her down. She told me later that she ventured to the grocery store that afternoon and she fell apart. She literally fell down in an aisle of the grocery store and began to sob. Now, grocery store clerks are set up to do a lot of things, especially during COVID. But being psychotherapists or pastoral care givers in the middle of an aisle is not one of them. Nancy just sat by herself, she told me, and just cried and cried and cried. What caused that moment for Nancy was that she was pulling a canister of baking soda off the counter to purchase it. She noticed on the baking soda that there was an expiration date. The expiration date was a year from the date she was buying it. She was furious that baking soda was going to live longer than she was going to live. She was upset, angry, fighting mad with God and with the world. She threw that baking soda into her, her buggy or grocery basket and then brought it home and put it in her refrigerator like a lot of us do to take away the, the smells. She told me again later that at the six-month mark, she took that baking soda out of the refrigerator and looked at the expiration date again, and she shook it. And then she put it back in the refrigerator. She had beat the six-month mark. But on down the road now, at a year and one day, she had a I'm still alive party. She invited a lot of us to come to her house. It was a grand party. Nancy was the host. <laughs> she was in the middle of all the fun, the beverages, the frivolity. And then unexpectedly, uh, many people didn't know the story. 
she put the baking soda into her grill. And she burned it up. She said, I beat it. I beat it. I beat the baking soda. I outlived it. Nancy lived about three or four more months, and then she died. She told some of us during those months that this is the best part of her life ever, that she had gotten rid of a lot of resentments, that she had healed a lot of brokenness, of past abuse, that she was financially solvent, that she was, had great friends who supported her with prayer and with community. She loved our church. She found new resilience, a buoyancy almost, to live the rest of her days with gratitude. She said it was the best season of her life. She didn't beat the physical illness, but she was healed. When she died, she was whole. It can happen for us. And that's the last stage of healing. It's gratitude. We're told in the story that all the people around the desperate man who could now hear and could now speak were thrilled. The word is, they were struck out of themselves. They were astounded, it says. They were struck out of themselves, beside themselves, we might say in our English language. They were full of gratitude and celebration. That's part of healing. In fact, you and I have not received all of healing and wholeness until we find deep reservoirs of gratitude, seeing each day as a gift. It's not our right. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. Each day, we set our feet down on the floor, and it's a gift. How are we going to use the gift? during this particular day, Nancy and this desperate man who doesn't have a name teach us a lot about how to step out in thanksgiving each and every day. Thanksgiving and healing go hand in hand. The question then for all of us is, as we are healed and made whole by God's merciful grace, is how shall I render, then, the rest of my days? Nancy addressed this question, and it's a question that addresses us. How shall I render to God and to God's world, then, the rest of my days? Seward Hiltner, the one-time professor of pastoral theology at Princeton, was also a psychotherapist, maintained that healing and wholeness really have Three primary words of rendering our life unto the Lord. One is, to, is from, one is to, and one is by. It's a simple equation. I want to say it again. From, to, and by. Try it this week. That you're moving, God's grace is moving you from something. Some barrier, some isolation, some imprisonment, some illness some disease, some setback, some hurt, from that place to a new place, new chapters, a new life, healing and wholeness, to another place, 
That is, it's called transformation or healing by, not by just my own devices or my white-knuckled determination or not even by just the mere support of my friends or even by the incredible medicine available to me at the local hospital. It's also by God's healing grace. God comes alongside of us and gives us this equation from to by God's grace. Try it this week. That's a little equation of a spiritual discipline I've given us. Think about your own condition of being in a place now. You're going to a new place by God's loving and healing grace. Amen.